Morning, everyone, and very warm welcome to our service this morning. And any visitors that are here, give you a very, very warm welcome. Um, I have a few wee announcements to go through here before we start our service. Uh, Barry's big quiz on Friday, the 18th of February at half past seven. Uh, this will take place online, and everyone is invited to take part. Uh, please see the order of service for details of how to sign up to that. Afternoon tea, please note that anyone who has an invitation to the afternoon tea uh, must reply to Muriel Irvine. If you have an invitation but do not intend to go, please return your invitation to Muriel. Um, Also, we're asking for your help, please. We need a team of helpers to uh, move all the chairs and put up tables to prepare for the afternoon tea uh, next Saturday. If you can help, please come to the church on Friday, uh, the day before, on Friday the 4th of February at 12 noon. Um, Friday the 4th of February at 12 noon. Men's Fellowship, uh, looking forward to that on Saturday the 12th of February at 8am in the Salty Dog Restaurant, uh, Seacliff Road, Bangor. Um, the speaker will be Gillian Gilliland and St Martin's Purse. So please Contact Bill Aiken if you intend to be there, and uh, details are on the order of service. Family service, we're hoping to have a family service, God willing, on Sunday the 27th of February. Uh, It'll be a service with a difference for children and for mums and dads, grannies and grandas and everyone. So come along, it'll be a bit different, it'll be a bit bit crazier than normal. And uh, also, please see the order of service for other announcements and information. I'm going to ask Tom. Tom's going to come up. He's got a little announcement that he wants to make. We have become absolutely dependent on our live stream team and on the work that John Honeyford has done to train the members of the team and to ensure that our members at home and others who are watching online get a really good quality viewing of our service. But this morning's rather special because we have a new member of the team. We have Holly Harbinson joining the live stream team. This is her first morning at the desk. And why is that significant? Holly is the first female to join the live stream team. That says it all. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. I'd just like to start our service with John chapter 12, verse 21. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. And our prayer this morning is simply this, we would like to see Jesus. Uh, See him in the worship, see him in the word, and feel his presence touch our hearts. Uh, May Jesus be in this house this morning. Let's pray. Lord, it's as simple as that. We've come this morning, Father, and uh, we've come to see Jesus. We pray that we might be aware of him in everything that is said and done. That, Lord, that you might speak with your still small voice within our hearts. That you might take your word and apply it to our hearts. Lord, we pray, forgive us for our feelings. Forgive us, Lord, when we take uh, the cross for granted and what went on there. Lord, we pray that you'd lead us by your spirit. And we pray that in everything that is said and done this morning, that Jesus Christ would be lifted high and glorified. Amen. We're going to stand and we're going to sing, Come Now is the Time to Worship.
Let me read to you Hebrews 12, verses uh, 1 to 3. Hebrews 12, verses 1 to 3. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Well, boys and girls, we've got any boys and girls? I think we've got a few more this morning. And I was going to come down there, but my wee flicker's not working, so I have to move the PowerPoint from up here. Uh, so, but what I want to talk to you about a wee bit this morning is don't give up. Don't ever give up. Yes, don't ever give up. I've got a wee bag here this morning. It's my sports bag. And uh, before COVID came, I was a member of DW Fitness. <laughs> Yeah, I was real, and I'd lost weight and everything, and now I started putting it back on again. But uh, I've got a couple of wee things here in my bag, which, uh, which I, I would use. There's my, sport, my shorts here. Yeah. Aren't they cool? They're very faded. Yes. I've got my shorts. And uh, let's see what else I've got in here. Yeah. I've got my favorite Jaws t-shirt here. Love that film. Got that. And uh, I've got one of the main things here. I have to sort of get myself ready to get this thing out. You know, it's really heavy. It's really, really heavy. Can't get it out. Here it comes. There we go. There we go. See? As easy as that. You know, so that's, that's me getting fit. I'm not as fit as I used to be, but I have to get fit again. And sometimes a Christian life can be a bit like that. It can be aches and pains. Like when you're doing a gym session, my favorite bit's the jacuzzi. You know when you, you just get into the bath with these bubbles coming up and it's just let the bubbles do their work. And it's lovely. It's absolutely lovely. But in a Christian life, it can be difficult and it can be a bit painful. But don't ever give up. Don't ever give up. We're told in Hebrews chapter 1, we need to run with, the endur- with endurance. Endurance means keeping on, keeping on. Don't give up. Run with endurance the race which is set before us. Christian life's like a race. Okay, now, now that's me when I was younger. Don't believe me. No, that's you seeing Bolt. Right? And Usain Bolt's the fastest man in the world, and he's amazing. But for to actually be the fastest man in the world, of course, behind the scenes, there's a lot of this here. There's a lot of tra- weight training, training with weights, running, sprinting. He has to do an awful lot of work in order to be the fastest man. And so he needs to be fit to be fast, but he also needs to be focused. Look at his face. He is so focused. Now, he needs to focus that whenever he's out training and he's running along the street, that he doesn't run into Kentucky Fried Chicken instead of running. He needs to run past Kentucky Fried Chicken and past McDonald's and past any hamburger joint. It's discipline. So he's focused, and he's focused when he gets onto that track. He is so focused on the finish line. He just doesn't take his eyes off the finish line until he's there and he's finished and he's won. And so we're told we need to run with endurance. The Christian life can be ups and downs, falling, hurting ourselves, messing up, doing things that are wrong. And God wants us to get up, dust ourselves down, keep going. Keep going, keep going. Now, faith is very important, as you know, in our, in, in our uh, following Jesus. Now, faith is like a muscle. 
And muscles, look at that there. You're impressed, aren't you? You're impressed. Muscles, the more you use them, the bigger they get. But if you don't use them, they start to go saggy and weak. So we have to use, if we have to develop our faith, we have to use it more. We have to stretch it more. And the more we stretch it, the stronger it becomes. The thing is, we have to have faith in something. You can't just go, I have faith. But faith in what? It needs an object. Just like a young girl might go, oh, I'm in love. I'm so in love. Who are you in love with? No one. I'm just in love. No, you have to have an object. Same with faith. has to have an object. You came in today to church, and you showed faith by sitting on the seat. You trusted the seat. You were trusting in that object that it would hold you. And that's the same with us. We're not to have a blind faith. The more we get to know about God, the more we'll, our faith will develop. How do we develop our muscles, our faith muscles? We're told faith comes by hearing the Word of God, and, uh, and uh, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God, by, by looking at the Bible and reading the Bible and listening about the Bible and finding out, is God dependable? What's he done in other people's lives in the Bible? What's he going to do in my life in the Bible? What are all his promises? And the more I get to know these things, the more my faith muscles begin to grow and grow and grow. And it's easier then to depend on God. Much easier. So, anybody know who this man is? We test here. Anybody know who this man is? Derek Redmond. You're right. Now, Derek Redmond... He was an amazing runner. He broke the, the British record, 400 meters record. And uh, in 1992, 1992, he went to the Olympics in Barcelona and he was doing his run and suddenly his, he tore his hamstring and he went straight down on the track and he got up, he wanted to finish the race, but he was limping and limping and limping, and it didn't look as if he was going to make it. And there was this man then came from the crowd, and he came running onto the track, and the security guards tried to stop him, and he just pushed the security guards out of the way, and he came over, and he gave him his shoulder to lean on. And it was his dad. It was his dad and his dad took him and brought him to the very end of the race. And although we have faith, and that is good, and we're to develop our faith and, and gain greater faith, yet we have one who will make sure we make it to the very end. We have one who will be with us in the good times and the bad times and the ups and the downs and the mountains and the valleys. He'll be with us all the way, and when we feel too tired, he'll lift us up, and he'll bring us to the end. Now, I'm looking forward to heaven. I hope there's a jacuzzi in heaven. <laughs> like the end of a gym session, I hope there's a jacuzzi. Apostle Paul being one side and Moses on the other would be great. But uh, that's, God is with you. And boys and girls, you might find it hard to be a Christian and to follow Jesus and stand up for him with your mates or with, in school or wherever you are, but it's worth keeping going, it's worth keeping following him, even in the hard times, because he'll be with you through and through. Okay, so we're going to sing, I've got joy, 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 joy down in my heart, down in my heart, I've got joy. Okay, we'll stand and sing.
boys and girls go out. Have a great time. Have a brilliant time out at Sunday school. And don't forget about the family service. There's going to be different wee things, prizes and stuff. So you'll have a great time. Don't forget about it on the 27th of February. Sometimes it can be difficult, and I know there's folk going through difficult times at the moment in Ballycrocken, and uh, we want to remember them in prayer. But it is easy to get discouraged on the race. It is easy to get downhearted and to feel like, oh, I'm fed up with this, I'm not going to try anymore. Um, but uh, we're going to pray for those folk who are discouraged. And maybe you're one of them this morning, and God wants to encourage you to keep going, and keep on keeping on. Um, but let, let's pray, and then we'll say the Lord's Prayer at the end. Father, we, we thank you for every member, Lord, that isn't here this morning. Father, those that are maybe watching at home, those who are ill, those who would just love to be here but feel vulnerable uh, to covid and Father, we pray, Lord, that this morning as they watch, that they would feel a complete part of our congregation. They would not feel in any way isolated or segregated, but that they would feel, Lord, they are in our prayers and on our minds and hearts. Lord, those who are ill, who are struggling, those who are in hospital at the moment, God, I pray your grace upon them grace upon grace. Lord, we pray, Father, for your strength to those who are struggling with their energy levels. Lord, those who are discouraged. Lord, those who are just, just downhearted, where, where life has been tough for them. God, we pray, just come with your arms underneath them and be their strength and be their guide and be their rock, Lord. Thank you, that you said to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. Father, even in times when you don't take uh, troubles away, you tell us, my grace is sufficient. When you're weak, you'll be strong in me because of my strength. And Lord, we thank you for those promises. We do indeed. Uh, and Father, we thank you that for the truth that there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And to us, that friend is Jesus Christ, your son. And sometimes in the midst of a hurricane, it's hard to find peace. But we thank you that you're a God who understands. You're a God who understands all about us and who meets us where we are. Thank you that you're interested in care for every detail of our lives and that you are the God of our past and of our present and of our future. And we're safe. We're safe as we rest and abide and find our home in you. So often, Father, how we feel affects how we think of you and how we relate to you. Father, forgive us at times, Lord, when we do blame you, Lord, for our situations. And Lord, we do blame you at times, Lord, with frustration when we're not feeling well. But Father, I thank you that you understand. And we, I pray that you would cover us in your grace, Lord, and cover those who are discouraged this morning in your grace and with your peace, like a mist descending on the moors. Touch their hearts with your comfort and, Lord, with assurance as a mother would comfort her child. Father, may our hearts connect with you this day May we know the breeze of your Holy Spirit as you move through this place this morning and in homes this morning. As the hymn goes, God himself is present. Let us adore him. 
as we with all, we come before him. God is in our midst now, in our hearts, keep silence, worshiping in deepest reverence, him we know, him we name. Come and let us make him our renewed surrender. So we pray the words together that Jesus led his disciples in prayer, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. I've got a, a wee video for you um, to watch. This is a very short video as we think about the Philippian church and, and what it meant to Paul and fellowship later on. Um, it's called, What is the Church? What is the church? Is the church a building? Is the church a pastor? Or the staff? Is the church the music? The tradition? Or the ministries? These are all good things, but they are not the church. Take them away, and the church is still here. Why? Because you are still here. The church is you. The church is you with a purpose. The church is you on a mission. The church is you with a plan, a simple plan to plug into God at a weekend service, to charge up in a small group community, to live out using your gifts and passions, and to pass on your faith to those who do not know Christ. When you and I live like this, all the things we used to do in church become things we do as the church. God desires it. The world needs it. And we are called to be it. What is the church? The church is you. We're going to sing, uh, we're going to stand and, and worship God with uh, Jesus be the center. And it's really, it is a prayer as well that Jesus would be the center of this service, uh, but the center of our church as we go on into the future. Christ would be in the center. Let's stand and sing.
going to uh, read Philippians, Philippians as we continue our series on Philippians, uh, life, seeing life through God's perspective. Philippians 1, verses 1 to 8. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you in all my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from this day, from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. For whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for sending Jesus Christ, your Son. And thank you, Jesus, that you came. Holy Spirit, won't you teach us more about his lovely name? Amen. Ewan Carlos Ortiz uh, is pastor of a church in Buenos Aires. Uh, his church was growing, was doing really well, and uh, he felt that something, though, was lacking. He felt that the congregation was being fed well, being taught well, but not being presented with the opportunity of living it. Spiritually well fed, but in his, in his opinion, they knew much more than what they did. So one Sunday, he set aside his sermon, which he'd prepared, and, and after the worship, he stood up and he said, my message for you this morning is love one another. And then he sat down. And there was an uneasy silence. The worship band didn't know, do we sing a song now? What do we do? But then he got up a second time and he said, my message for you this morning is love one another. And he sat down again and his wife thought he had finally flipped. Then he, turned, he stood up a third time and he said, my message to you this morning is love one another. And then there was a man down in a pew and he leant over to the person in front of him and he said, um, my name is, and he introduced himself, and he said, is there anything I can do for you? And then others in the congregation began to talk to one another and asking how they could help. And that one day, 28 people who were unemployed in the church went home with jobs. And every single parent family, every single parent went home with a family assuring them that they'd be supportive of them throughout all stages of their children's development. For, for six months, Pastor Ortez got up and preached the same thing. And people started leaving the church because they were saying, we're not paying him to get up and say one line. Um, you know, my message is love one another. Some people left. But after six months, he got up again. And he said, I have a new message for you now. And they all started to laugh and they relief. He's got a new message. This is great. And uh, so he said, my message for you this morning is, love your neighbor. And the people had got to know him that well that they, they got up off their seats and they headed out of the church. And you could see them lining up at the, at the, at the bus stops, uh, ordering taxis, getting in their cars, heading home. And they headed home and they went to their next door neighbors and they said, excuse me, but I am so-and-so. And I belong to the church down the road, and uh, I'm a Christian. Is there any way I can help you? Well, after a while, the secretary was inundated with calls. 
and uh, would, somebody would ring up and say, excuse me, are you the church that helps people? And what a, what a reputation to have to be a church that is known to help people. Because uh, often churches can be the talk of conversation for all the wrong reasons. They're hypocrites. They're gossip mongers. They're arrogant. But for to be known as a church that helps people. Now Jesus gives us, presents us with only one quality that he says will stand out from the crowd to show that you are his disciples. He says, by this old man, know that ye are my disciples if you have love one to another. But don't worry, I'm not going to speak on the same passage for the next six months. But I, I do want to speak on the same passage that I spoke on last week um, by way of introduction to the letter. But, but this week I want to come at it from this perspective of fellowship. What is church fellowship? You know, Paul is in a prison in Rome when he's writing this letter. And uh, he, he's time to reflect on the church back at Philippi that he, he started with Lydia uh, and then with the jailer and his family. And the church has grown. God is in the church, and Paul's love for them has grown. Uh, he has a special place in his heart for this church. Uh, and we pick it up again in verse 33 and 5, 3 to 5. I thank my God every time I remember you in all my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy. Because of your partnership or fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. And I want you to try and feel this this morning. Since we came four weeks ago, there's been so much kindness. And there's so much support and care. And I really feel that this church is, is on the track. Well on the track. Like this Philippian church. But I want you to feel this this morning. I want you to feel the love Paul has for this church in Philippi and for the people, what they feel about Paul. This closeness of fellowship, it's so important. Paul writes, I thank God. First of all, I thank God every time I remember you. Possibly the worst thing someone can feel is that sense of being forgotten. Uh, and it can happen so easily in a church context, and particularly more easily during the, or easily during the pandemic, where people can feel forgotten. But Paul knew he would not be forgotten about. He knew that he would not forget them. And he says, I thank God every time I remember you. He appreciates them so much. And what we have here is genuine fellowship. You know, sometimes we use the term so glibly, fellowship, uh, when we share a coffee and we have a caramel square, uh, we tend to call it fellowship. And, and it's good. Those things are really good because we get to know one another through those things. But what Paul's talking about here is considerably deeper. Let me just share a little of Paul's vision for fellowship amongst believers. Uh, the Greek term which Paul often uses is, uh, for fellowship is, is kanonia. Now, you'll probably have heard of that term as a Greek term. And he, he hijacks it as a secular term, and he uses it to, to define or explain Christians or brothers and sisters in Christ, their connection with one another, their closeness with one another. The secular word koinonia was originally used to describe the close-knit relationship that was between two Siamese twins. Two Siamese twins which had the same life force, the same blood flow, uh, sometimes would be the same pulse beat. That closeness, that was the secular term, and Paul takes that to use it as we're, we're, we're believers, we're trusting in Christ, we're under God, and we have the same life, spiritual life force flowing through us. We trust in Christ. And that's, that's the closeness that Paul is aiming at when he talks about fellowship. Um, 
You know, is it any wonder that Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 12, 26, if one member suffers, all the members suffer. One part is cut, we all feel the pain. And that's what Paul's referring to. You know, as he sits in this cell in Rome, his thoughts drift across the Adriatic to think about these people that he met and that he pastored in the church at Philippi. And he says, I thank my God every time I remember you. He remembers their support. He remembers their love. He remembers their kindness and their faithful praying. They've been very generous, and even when he left, they've still been generous. Other churches, it's out of sight, out of mind, but not with this church at Philippi. And he says, I thank God every time I remember you, sitting in this prison cell. He goes on, though, to say, secondly, I always pray with joy. I want you to try and hear the passion in his voice. I always pray with joy. You know, at a conference, a Presbyterian conference in Omaha a number of years ago, people were given helium-filled balloons as they went into the the service. And uh, they were told to release them any time in the service that they felt joy in their hearts. And so throughout the service, there were these little balloons heading up towards the ceiling. But by the end of the service, a third of the balloons had still not been released. They were given balloons because they thought Presbyterians aren't going to shout, Hallelujah, praise the Lord. (laughs) But why not? Um, But, uh, you know, if Paul was here today, he'd be saying, let your balloon go. Let the joy of Jesus Christ fill your heart. And Paul writes, I think of you, I begin to pray when I think of you, and I pray for you with such joy in my heart. Philippi was, got the nickname Little Rome because you couldn't get any more Roman unless you went to Rome itself. So it was a very difficult place to be a Christian, a very difficult place to profess Christ in. And many people knew that it was tough being a Christian in Philippi. In fact, Paul speaks of them in the second letter to the Corinthian church. And he talks about these churches in Macedonia. Philippi is the capital of Macedonia. And he speaks about these little churches. He says they have an abundance of joy. They have an abundance of joy in such a severe test of affliction. And perhaps Paul, in the beginning of this letter, is setting out, just letting them remind them, trying to remind them of the joy that they have in Jesus Christ, that no one can take away, that even though you're going through a really tough, tough, tough storm, Jesus Christ is there for you, and that joy in your heart no one can take away or nothing can remove. Paul himself is a model of this. He's sitting in a chain to a Roman guard in a prison cell, possibly wondering, how's my ministry got to this? Wondering, is this the end of my ministry? He's awaiting his sentence. And yet he's able to write and say, listen, I have the joy of Jesus Christ in my heart, even in these circumstances. Last week I read of a pastor, 16-year-old pastor in India. They're very short on Christian leaders. That's why he's doing the work of a pastor. He's only 16. Um, Also, they lost 2,000 pastors to to COVID over the pandemic. So they're low on leaders. But this young lad, a pastor, 16 years of age, um, had received an acid attack. Um, And he he suffered, uh, 60% of his body was burned. He went to sell vegetables down in the village market. And he'd been warned by Hindu nationalists to stop holding prayer meetings at his family home. He'd refused, and he was attacked. But is it possible to have joy in our hearts 
when we're going through such trauma and such terrible storms that sometimes life stirs up? Can we know the joy of Jesus Christ in our hearts during those times? Well, for Paul, Paul says, of course you can. Yes, you can. Because joy, you see, for Paul, isn't an emotion. It's not a mood. It's not a feeling. But it's an attitude. And for Paul, joy is something which he chooses. It's a decision of the will. And as we go through Philippians, you'll see that there's a note of joy which rings 15 times throughout Philippians. And it builds 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 until chapter 4, where Paul shouts almost in the letter, rejoice, (laughs) rejoice. Um, And again, I say rejoice. Joy for Paul is not a feeling. It's a decision. It's an attitude. His source of joy is outside of himself. His source of joy is in Jesus Christ, the rock who will never move. You know, I, I think he's subtly assuring his friends back at Philippi who are probably discouraged by his arrest, probably anxious about his arrest. And he's reminding them, listen, I'm all right. I've got the joy of Christ in my heart. Even in this prison cell, even chained to this guard, nothing can separate me from the love of Christ. Nothing can rob this joy away, no circumstance. And likewise, you in Philippi, as you promote the gospel and you face much opposition from doing so, no one or nothing can rob any joy from your heart. You know, this is quite standard for Paul. He reminds us in Romans 14, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy of the Holy Spirit. The joy of Jesus Christ is yours by right. And he reminds us in Galatians 5.22 that one of the fruit of the Spirit is joy. And that in the darkest dungeon and the darkest tunnel and the darkest storm, We can claim the joy of knowing Jesus Christ, who is the rock who will never move, who is your fortress, your high tower you can run into and be safe. You know, this is standard in the New Testament church. They they broke bread, we're told in Acts 2, verses 46. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Glad and sincere hearts. There's a joy that no one or nothing can steal and it's rooted in Jesus Christ. And such joy just sparks into praise. Paul's joy is not based upon his circumstances. It's unaffected by the bars of a prison cell or the beatings of some enraged mob. It comes from an assurance that even when life seems chaotic, God is in control. Life from God's perspective, God never loses control. And here he writes to the church at Philippi, I always pray with joy. Always pray with joy. It goes on, thirdly, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. From, one, from, from day one, the, this little small church in Philippi has been gospel partners with Paul. They'd come to faith in Christ. They'd been partakers of God's grace, God's forgiveness, God's reconciliation. They'd been all a part of that. They'd shared the gospel with all who would listen. They'd reached out to those in need. They'd rejoiced together. They'd cried together. They'd prayed together. And they'd bore the wounds together. And indeed, there were wounds. But boasting of Christ's faithfulness, Paul says, I pray with confidence. I pray with confidence that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Don't give up. 
I remember Alan Redpath once saying, a saint is not someone that's sinless, someone to be honored, stained glass window. He said, a saint is someone who, when they fall, get back up again, keep going. Christ dusts them down, and they keep going. Paul says, I, I pray with confidence. He who began a good work, he's going to bring you there, going to bring you through. Keep your eyes on the price. You know, I encourage you to read the Bible, spend time with God every day, just you and him, whether it be a walk out somewhere or sitting in your living room or your closet or wherever. But spend time with God and hold on to God like Jacob was in the Old Testament. God, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. And meet with him and allow your faith as you read the word of God to be built up and built up and your faith muscles to grow. But sometimes it's difficult. Sometimes it's hard. But Paul assures us here, like, like the Derek Redmond, that your Father's there to lift you up, that your Father will never abandon you, that when you fall and you think you'll never get up again, your Father is there to lift you up and bring you to the finish line. You know, it's a three-way bond. There's a, uh, Paul talks about, well, there's the church at Philippi, then there's Paul, and then there's Christ. It's like a triangle, and they link together fellowship with the same life force of the Holy Spirit going through them all. And in this church also, I link with you, you link with me in prayer, and we link with Jesus Christ, the source of power. At verse 7, just closing then, verse 7, Paul says, it's right for me to feel this way about you since I have you in my heart. Paul, in no other letter, is so affectionate, is so emotional, he pours out his affection, and he says, all of you share in God's grace with me. You know, normally we assume, and Paul usually uses the word grace for a, a, a favor of God's that we don't deserve. But it's not just that in this passage. What he's referring to is grace is the privilege also of suffering and sacrificing for Jesus Christ. And as we share that together, as we share the wounds together and the bruises together as a church, hoarding one another, loving one another, caring for one another, undergirding one another, there will be times when we all cry and there'll be times when we all rejoice. But it's that message of Christ reconciling us to God the Father, by his grace, through the cross, that when we give our lives to Jesus Christ, when we put our trust in him, ask him to forgive our sins, turn our back on our sin, and surrender ourselves to him, that's what then unites us together. We might be from different backgrounds, but that unites us together we have the same life force of the Holy Spirit moving within us. And that brings a Christ-centeredness. God can testify, writes Paul in verse 8, how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. Fellowship. You know, we want to love more, we love God more, and the love from God flows through. And that's that's where Jesus says, you know, you want to know what's most important? He says, love God with all your heart, your whole, your whole heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. You do the first one, the second one comes. Let's pray. Father, we just want to thank you, Lord, that, that God, that you love us incredibly. And Father, you want to love each of us 
through each of us. You want to use me and use every person in this congregation as a, as a, as a vessel, Lord, as a, as a vehicle of providing love and support to those around us. That's how you do it, through others, through your body. I pray, Lord, that you would increase the love in our hearts for you as we spend time with you alone. Lord, as we build up those faith muscles. Lord, as we allow our spirits to be rekindled, reflamed, and become passion, passionately in love with you. That we might, through that love that we find in you, pass that on through us to others. Guide us, Lord, in, the, in uh, the, our future and our days ahead, our weeks ahead, our months ahead, our years ahead. And may this love, Lord, in this congregation be a light, be a witness. May people think of Ballycrocken as the church that helps people. May they see our love for them. And may that be a witness, Lord, in this area. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, um, we're going to just finish with uh, the splendor of the king. Let's stand and worship the king of kings. go out into this new week, recognizing how great is our God. As far as God is concerned, there are no obstacles, only opportunities. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit 
be with us all now and forevermore. Amen.